crush You like to dance at the hip-hop spots And you cruise to the groove to connect the dots Not just urban, she liked pop She was living la vida loca Welcome to Live Like an Acrobat. I'm your host, Shanae Stiletto, two-time world acrobatic gymnastics champion, USA Gymnastics Hall of Fame member, and Cirque artist. I'm also an advocate for rain. On each episode of the Live Like an Acrobat podcast, I discuss acro handstanding in terms of training tips, coaching, and I explore circus and acrobatic gymnastics competitive life as I have lived it from past to current and I theorize on what the future may bring in these fields. On each episode of the Live Like an Acrobat podcast, I will bring you insight through my own experiences, which are rooted in a perspective built on social justice advocacy and how these important issues continue to intersect between the circus arts and acrobatics competitive world at large. On each episode, I have the pleasure of discussing these various narratives with a variety of fascinating special guests. Thank you so much for joining me on this episode of the Live Like an Acrobat podcast. Please consider a donation to encourage the continuation and evolution of this podcast. The details of how to donate are located in the show notes. Please make sure to check out the circuspreneurblog.com for extended conversations and interactive content of each episode of the Live Like an Acrobat podcast. On this episode of the Live Like an Acrobat podcast, I interview contortionist, aerialist, and artivist, Samantha Panda. I included this musical choice as a nod to celebrating all women and the beauty of the female form in all ways it expresses itself. A song made popular by a male artist and solely focused on the male gaze, I thought that this newly released version, which happened to be on my birthday of this year, was the perfect restoration of a song meant to objectify, but is now in its new form, more of an appropriate celebration of what we as most women in America and some, but most definitely not all, women around the world do nearly daily. And that's choose to wear what we want to wear on our bodies and exhibit those clothes in the way that we want to. To expand even further, it includes the freedom for all human beings to choose how they decide to dress. And if that includes a thong, then let freedom ring. few days I will be giving my victim statement to the Montreal Police Department via virtual conference call. This report was filed two years ago and as per the laws in Montreal an international victim statement must be additionally recorded. I'm reporting the sexual assault I suffered at the hands of my former French duo circus partner and I thought it was important to include my current ongoing struggles within the international criminal justice system as my guest Samantha Panda braves through her own legal battle. 
The constant resounding questions in my mind are why has it taken the Montreal police this long to record my statement? And why was my case minimized due to the quote unquote late reporting? I continue, as do all victims and survivors, to struggle deeply with all of these questions as I continue to advocate on my behalf year in and year out. So whether it's a severe case of assault of which I experienced or that of my special guest Samantha Panda's interaction and detainment by the police who were using an archaic and trivial ordinance meant to target the agency of women's bodies, it's clear that we need to continue to fight for women's equality and equity in America and throughout the world because women's rights are human rights. Please enjoy my conversation with the fiercely determined artivist, Samantha Panda. Samantha Panda is an American acrobat, aerialist, and contortionist. She has lived and performed all over the world, but most notably in Asia and Europe, in big top shows, burlesque shows, drag shows, theme parks, resorts, and club venues everywhere from Taipei to Jakarta to Sakintos. Sam Panda currently lives in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina with her partner and her dogs. She is currently fighting to overturn an outdated local ordinance in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina that prohibits the wearing of thong bikinis. Sam Panda has overcome tremendous adversity in her professional acrobatic career. Her tenacity has allowed not even a broken neck to stop her fierce determination to inhabit the circus stage. Please welcome to the show, Samantha Panda. Thank you again for coming on to the show. How are you today? Hi, I'm pretty good. Uh, just hanging out at my apartment in Myrtle Beach. It's raining today, but it's not too bad. It's actually supposed to rain here too, but uh, we are, yeah, we're having a glimpse of sun at the moment. So we'll see. We'll see how that continues. But um, I wanted to say that when my friend Jonathan sent me your story, I was just in shock and I couldn't believe the escalation of events. Your story is just so intense, Sam, like how it played out. I just kept saying, how dare they? I mean, it's yeah. really <laughs> unbelievable. And I can't believe this has happened to you in 2020, especially with so many things happening in the world that I think are far more important than policing a woman over her bathing suit choice. Um, I mean, I've worked a lot in the Middle East, so it's something that you'd expect to see happening there, or at least there's the potential of it happening there. Just depends on the day. And it's just wild, and I'm so sorry that this happened to you. And you're actually, you know, not alone in what happened to you. Another woman, Tiara Garnis, and her friends also experienced the same treatment. And Sam, I also wanted to say, because I think you're amazing, this isn't the first time that you've made headlines. I cannot believe what you oh, survived <laughs> yeah, when you had your accident in Bali. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that happened too. That was wild as well. So 
Yeah, it's been like weird every time that I've been like in the public eye has been for something completely insane. Yes, you've overcome so much. And if you want to go into that as well, we can speak about that later on the show. Um, But Sam, please tell listeners in full detail just exactly what happened to you from the beginning when you were at the beach. Okay, uh, so basically um, I went to the beach with my partner and with my sister and uh, we were just going down like we had a hurricane coming into Myrtle Beach and that's basically when storms are coming through, that's when you'll get like the best surf um, and my partner surfs. So we were going down to the beach so he could go surfing and my sister and I could just kind of hang out and be on the beach like we always do. And, um, yeah, so he goes, he goes to surf. She and I are just sitting on, on the beach, on our towels. We've got some music, like we're sitting in the sand. We're really not like going out of our way to be anything like, you know, to like catch people's eye or, or do anything other than just like have conversation with each other. And, uh, we had an interaction with a guy who was videotaping us and um it got a bit like heated she my sister had ended up uh like he gave her his phone to try to prove that he wasn't videotaping when it was very like clear that he was so she deleted his video and then about 20 minutes later he came into came back into our space and he had this heated argument with us about how he was uh going to send that video to his dying father. And we deleted the video of the ocean that he was going to send to his father and ruined his whole day. And we were like, okay, so take another video, man. Like the ocean's right there. Just, we don't want to be in the video. And like, I understand it's legal to take videos of people, but it was very creepy. And my sister deleted it after he gave her his phone. So, you know, kind of on him. But that even wasn't like the weirdest, worst part of the day. Like we noticed... That guy went back over to his stuff and was talking to a woman who was near him. Um, And we assumed maybe that was his wife. We didn't know. We kind of saw them talking. We were like, oh, weird that he would have a wife and videotape like two girls on the beach. That's a bit weird, but not our business, not our problem. And uh, so we, he leaves the beach and then about 15, 20 minutes later, um, the police show up to the beach and my partner sees them come and he gets out of the water from surfing because he was kind of like, you know, not sure why the police were there, but maybe he should be up with us just in case. And the the cops come up to us and they're like pretty ready to like diffuse a situation that wasn't there. So they come up and they're really agitated and they're like, what's the problem, ladies? We're like, uh, I don't know, man. We don't have a problem. Like, we didn't call you. We didn't, we don't have any problems. We're just hanging out. And, um, one of the officers told us that, no, in fact, the problem was us with the way we were dressed mostly. And then, you know, something about us behaving lewdly on the beach. I don't know. We were like, okay, well, you know, tell me where in, you know, which law, where does it say that I can't wear this bathing suit here? 
can you tell me that? And the, the officer straight up just looks me in the face and tells me, no, no, he can't tell me. And so I said, okay, well, we're, we're done here. Then I'm going to walk away. And uh, I go to grab my towel, turn from him. Cause he, you know, they, they had this started this situation and that they wouldn't cooperate with us. So I was going to leave. And, um, I turned to grab my towel and the police officers kind of jumped on me. The one guy was really aggressive. He grabbed my arms. Then the other officer grabbed one arm, one had the other. They forced me into cuffs. They're dragging me away from my towel. They're really aggressive. It was crazy. Um, and so once that happened was when my partner picked up his phone and started the recording, um, which has now gone like all over the world. It's been crazy. Um, so yeah, essentially what had happened was the woman who was talking to the police or was talking to the guy who was videoing us called the police and said that we were wearing inappropriate thongs, that we were dancing like inappropriately, that we were soliciting videos, um, just like a bunch of ridiculous things that we were doing, um, which all we were doing was minding our own business and sitting in the sand. Like it was really, really crazy how quickly, like we had about 30 seconds of interaction with the cops before he put me in handcuffs. Um, and all based on this agitated woman who didn't like the way that we were dressed. Um, yeah, it was wild. I was in cuffs for around like 15, 20 minutes. Um, they kept us detained. They called in backup because apparently you need backup. Like two cops is not enough to, to detain a girl in a thong. I don't know. (laughs) They couldn't find the law. Like the, the laws they showed me were like, they kind of like gave me this big aha moment. He was like, it's right here. It says you cannot be nude. I was like, yeah, cool. I'm good with that. I'm not nude. <laughs> like, I'm so confused right now. And he was trying to tell us like, oh, the law said like, you can't show anatomical parts. And he's like yelling at my partner. He's like, do you even know what anatomical parts means? And I'm like, do you? Cause like that could be my belly button, my nose, like literally any part of your anatomy is an anatomical part. So what are you doing? Like, this is really weird. It was super strange and it was, uh, very unnecessary and inappropriate and just like humiliating. And it's terrifying. Like being in handcuffs is super scary. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and thank God you weren't alone and that most of what happened was caught on camera. Yeah. My partner was super smart. Like he's, he's pretty good under pressure where like I, like you, it even, the video starts out. He's, he's telling me to calm down because as soon as I got grabbed, I was like, I'm going to go crazy. I'm trying to like get away from these guys because they're grabbing me for literally no reason, putting me into cuffs. Um, and I'm, obviously trying to fight back because that's what human nature is to like, if someone grabs you, you're going to try to get away from them. Um, so he's trying to calm me down and he's trying to talk to the cops to get things like very clear, like, well, what's the problem? And, um, they, they then threatened to arrest him and throw him in jail. And I was like, this is just (laughs) absurd, like out of control. 
Wow. Over, over a thong bikini. I mean, and your partner, he was, he was so amazing and it just, you know, the way he was very calm, um, everything that he was saying back, I'm sure everybody in his position and, and even the way that you reacted watching the video, I say, I was telling myself I would have reacted the same way. If, if, if you're just all of a sudden just on the beach and all of a sudden things escalate so quickly and you're, in handcuffs, just in two seconds for, for doing nothing, for just being in your bathing suit without any, without having done anything. You didn't, you didn't, you didn't, you didn't commit any kind of violent crime. I mean, you were just there in your bikini for them to, to do that so quickly to me, the escalation of those things and to take that much force so fast, especially during the times that we're living in too, really blew me away where the conversation around policing, around brutality, around Mm -hmm. cops using excess force. And here you are trying to explain yourself, trying to understand what's going on. We see that there was an instigation of events that it didn't come from nowhere. Right. Which again, you know, people are, you know, it's 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 also um very interesting to me that you had the interaction with that guy and then it led to the woman doing that because had that not have happened um you would have very much have been left alone right to just yeah, do what you were doing absolutely mm-hmm. uh, carry on <laughs> <laughs> yeah it was so weird like the, the the police made us out to be these like criminals like who are you know trying to solicit sex on the beach and like our existence was just like damaging to children and we're like first of all there are like four guys in speedos next to us like um there are women like on the beach who've got like brazilian bikinis and cheeky thongs and they're you know laying when they're sunbathing like they're laying face down with their tops off so they don't have tan lines and i'm like where is the you know what makes them different than me and i kept saying like well i can see that girl's butt i can see that guy's butt in a speedo like why just me? Like, this doesn't make sense. And they couldn't, they could, they, and they even admitted, like the supervisor admitted to me, like, oh yeah, technically everyone on the beach is in violation of this. I'm like, well, then what am I doing here? What am I, why am I the one sitting here in handcuffs when you need to go up to, if you want to, you know, if you want to arrest me, you're technically going to have to arrest everyone else on the beach, which is absurd. And his response to that was that the woman who called had a child and she was like a 12 or 13 year old girl. And I was like, I I think I said it on the video, which came across as a little bit like harsh, but I was like, I straight up don't care about your kid. Um, which is not true. Like I do care about people's kids, but it's not my job to parent their children. Like it's not my job to think about what their kid's going to wear or what think about what their child is going to think about my bathing suit when I go on the beach. Um, It's just not. And I try to explain like, look, you know, I'm telling the police officer, like if I'm going to wear whatever I want, like that parent, that 12 year old girl is not looking at me thinking about sex. Like she's 12. The mother is like, that's really the issue. Um, And it was just really, really absurd. Like it got really out of hand and I'm sure like it all stemmed from, that man being angry that we deleted the video that he took of us, um, which is in in and of itself, like 
is insane. And and I've I made it clear a few times, like I know it's not illegal to videotape people on the beach, but if a person tells you that the video makes them uncomfortable, like maybe don't do it. It's not, it's just like a, a kind of social contract you have to like not be creepy towards people. Um, and I've also had a lot of people kind of like backtrack on me where they're like, oh, well, if you think that, like he was, you know, doing that to you and not being respectful to you. So why is it okay for you to wear a bikini that's not respectful to uh, the children? And I'm like, well, because he's not minding his business. And I am like, I'm not going up. If I were going up to that woman and her children and like putting my thong bikini butt right in their faces and I don't know, twerking in their face, they would have every reason to be like, this is not okay. But my existence shouldn't be that like offensive to someone just because I'm there. And that's really the difference. Like he went out of his way to make us uncomfortable and we just were there. We were just existing and she went out of her way to not be able to mind her business. Um, so I try to make that clear. Like there is a, a very clear difference between what he did and between what we did, which was nothing. <laughs> <laughs> which was just being there in your bikini. And again, going back to you speaking about the other people on the beach, that's also what was my reaction thinking how many women were laying down with their bikinis up inside as like making it into a thong and yeah. laying down. And why is that? not illegal and in, you know, and in violation of the ordinance, but you standing up just in a different stance in the way that you were exhibiting your, your bikini and your bathing suit was then, uh, you know, in violation of that ordinance. I mean, it's, again, it's, it's, it's picking and choosing, isn't it? Mm -hmm. And it comes down to when it's convenient for people to enforce certain things. And obviously it came from somebody that instigated. And we've seen this a lot, right? In the world where People decide that they want to take matters into their own hands and they call the cops on someone because they perceive them as some type of threat. This person is doing something that everybody else around them is doing, but this person has decided that they are uncomfortable with this one particular person's behavior. And now they want to get the cops involved in a situation where the cops should never have been involved and how things escalate. And, you know, again, in your situation, you did not end up in jail. You, right. you, 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 you did not even end up in a police car, but you still were arrested. So it, they didn't, they didn't, it didn't get, it didn't get to where it could have gotten. It could have, it could have gotten even worse. Um, you know, it, it, we've, we've seen it taken to all sorts of different, uh, you know, into different narratives, uh, when people are, you know, doing things, um, and then they get, unfortunately, unfortunate interactions with the cops where they shouldn't, they shouldn't, they shouldn't have those interactions with the police. So I wanted to ask you, Sam, what happened after what has been the reaction to your story? And how have you felt about the reactions? Was anything done to discipline the cops that arrested you for taking that way too far when most people in your position are just giving a warning and at most a ticket? Yeah, um, so I just like, I want to make something like super clear. And that is like, while I was detained, um, I know like, and I made that I've mentioned this before, like, and you were just bringing up, like we've seen police like take things even further. And I know how lucky I am that I was able to fight 
with those cops and keep repeating, like, you shouldn't be having me detained and show me this and making demands of them almost um, to make them uncomfortable and make them call a supervisor and make them make this, um, you know, where they couldn't just throw me in the back of their car. Um, Because like you said, I was able to to be let go. Um, And I know it has a lot to do with the fact that I am a small white woman. Um, and that is a privilege that where I can tell that cop, like, and look in his face and say, Hey, F you, you're wrong. And he's not going to do much. Um, and so I just want to like put that out there. Like that is a, a privilege that I've had that I know that has not been awarded to a lot of the people who get these calls, um, called on them. Like, you know, if someone's barbecuing and the, a black family's barbecuing and a white woman calls the cops on them because they're black and they make her uncomfortable. Like they don't end up having the same privilege to be able to go to that cop and say, you know, what the F is wrong with this. Um, and because of that, like, that's why I was able to be let go because I kept fighting with them, pushing and pushing and pushing and saying, you can't keep me like this. Um, and eventually they did have to say, Oh yeah, you know, you're right. Uh, I guess you could just leave. And I was like, yep, cool. Bye. I'm out. Um, and afterwards, like, you know, we kind of talked about it and we were like this, this, you know, I've been very active, like in my communities about, you know, police brutality. I've been to the protest. I've been to, um, protests, not just even in the U S but overseas for things like human rights in Taiwan. And I've been to, um, you know, Hong Kong's protest. I've been all to these places where I think it's very important to make things known and to, you know, allow people their humanity and their rights. And um, I've always been very big about that. So I wasn't just going to like ignore this situation. Um, and so I was like, well, I'm going to, we'll post the video because we have it and make it seen so that people at least have an, they can hold the police accountable here in, in Myrtle beach. Cause I think at the very least it should be recognized of like, this is what's happening right in your own town. Um, and it, I mean, it absolutely blew up and the backlash has been, uh, I mean, there's been like a lot of absolute positivity. Like I've been approached by legal teams and we're trying to get, um, the law changed here so that this can't happen anymore. Um, and there's a lot of good that's going to, I hope I'm hopeful that there's a lot of good that can come to it from, you know, getting the law change and getting people to see like, you can't police women's bodies this way. You can't treat people this way. You can't, you know, it's not our jobs as women to parent your child. It's not our jobs as women to care about what your husband thinks of us while we're on the beach. These types of like mindsets that are very common here in Myrtle beach, like I'm hoping that we can change people's minds by making this public um, and I, I'm very hopeful that it, it's going to happen. And there's a lot of support, especially around the world for that. However, there's also a lot of negativity and a lot of people who like, I have been called every horrible name, like every trashy thing that people can think of to tell me how awful I am as a person because I'm trashy and I've got tattoos and I dress slutty and I am the way I am. And, you know, anything people can say about me, they have said. I've heard a lot in the last three weeks. Um, and I try to ignore them. It's not always the easiest, um, but it's definitely like 
there is a big pushback from people where I say, hey, I want change and I want progression and I want people to treat other people better. And there are a lot of people, especially in in South Carolina, in this area who are like, absolutely not because you're a certain way and you don't deserve it. And that's disappointing to see and to hear from um you know, from, from locals here, especially like they're really not super fond of me, <laughs> uh, <laughs> which is, I mean, like, I can't, I don't want to say I don't care because I do, because I want to see things get better for everyone else here. Everyone should be able to just be whoever they are and wear whatever they want, as long as they're not hurting anyone. And like thong bikinis are absolutely not hurting anyone at all. And I want to re- remind listeners that, sorry to, to interrupt you, please continue your thoughts. Yeah. No, no, I was going to say, you know, it, thong bikinis, like I said, they're not hurting anyone unless I had like, you know, razor blades tied to them and was like throwing them at people, which should be illegal. Um, but like the things here, like it, you're, it's just, it's a strange kind of like feeling to be in this situation where like, you feel like this weird super villain in this town because of something that you're doing that's trying to make things better and safer for people. It's really strange. But yeah, that was really all. I'm pretty much done with my train of thought there. <laughs> yeah. uh, well, that was that was a brilliant train of thought. And I want to remind listeners, because I did not say this at the beginning, that the other woman and her friends that were arrested by the police for wearing thongs on the beach, Tiara Garnis, who I mentioned at the top of the show, mm-hmm. she is a black woman. Her friends yeah. were black and they were put in jail. So they did take it that extra step further in what you, you know, and you, you know, were speaking about it so, so beautifully, Sam. And and speaking about how you did not end up in jail and that there was, even in the midst of you being so harassed uh, within that treatment, you did have a glimmer of privilege there, even though, even though most people, like we know from everything that I read online, do not get arrested for that same ordinance violation. They usually yeah. get a ticket or mostly they get a warning. So they did take it a step further with you, but the, the black women did get put in jail for, mm-hmm. for, for violating that ordinance. Um, I think that's so amazing that that was going to be my next question. You know, <laughs> it, are you trying to get this ordinance eliminated? Because to me, that was the first thing that I thought, well, she needs to get it eliminated and this, yeah. this can't stand. And, you know, and there's so many ordinances, you know, when people go around saying things, especially in spaces that are conservative, I always say it's from day to day. There's ordinances everywhere that are not honored all the time. They're in the books. No one follows them. It's common yeah. knowledge. Um, you know, there's, there's things, there's actually a story out in the world right now. When you spoke about privilege, I also speak about my Western privilege. We both have it when we go and we travel around the world as circus performers um, and as circus women. And I, there was a, there was a, just recently a, a Londoner, she was a flight attendant and she was arrested and detained for two months in Dubai. Uh, she went home with a man after a nightclub and the police had been on him. Of course, she wouldn't have known that because she did not really know him, but she did, you know, she felt safe to do that. She's lived in Dubai for quite some time. And if you've been in these spaces, 
when you're inside of these countries, you recognize that things are operated different when you're in country. From the outside, it looks incredibly strict. And it is. I'm not mm -hmm. saying that you go there with the intention of breaking laws. I am someone who's been traveling. You are someone who's been traveling for years. Yeah, and we don't go around places thinking that we can break laws. I, because I've been traveling for so long since I was very little, I, I even overdo it. People usually ask me to really just like loosen up. But I have such a reference <laughs> for things. Yeah, with cultures and with, you know, with customers. I, I, I just go so deeply respectful and and right. also too I don't want to push my luck. Yeah. That's kind right. of you, know, you never know when you go to a new place. And especially like I've I spent most of my time traveling in Asia and you know, I spent a lot of time in Singapore and they're known for being very strict on their laws. And you're like, okay, well, I've got to be very careful and I wanna be as respectful as possible. Or if I'm in Kuala Lumpur, maybe I'll put on sleeves, like a t-shirt instead of a tank top, just just to be safe. But you're pretty much always going to be fine, but there is that, you know, you're recognizing that those laws exist there that don't exist back home for you. Exactly. And to go back to this, to this flight attendant, unfortunately, you know, they, they detained her for two months and she, you know, there was a lot of outcry to get her out of prison. Um, and of course, because she is a Westerner, she, she was eventually released because I'm not sure if she, you know, if she were local and this happened to her, if she would have gotten released in two months, but she was detained. They couldn't find any drugs in her system. That's what they were looking for. They gave her a drug test um, because they had found marijuana in this man's apartment. And she, you know, told them, I don't really, you know, know him and I don't have any marijuana in my system. It took them like a month to conclude that she didn't have it in her system. It wow. took them another month to get her out of jail, but she would have just still been sitting there. So it's no joke. I mean, however... There was a lot of shaming going on. People were saying she should have known better. She should have known the local laws better. She And what I always respond to them as, you know, which again, if you've not been in these spaces and even like the locals will tell you at a certain point, there's a certain level of things that you, that are, that you are comfortable with that are okay to do. They're actually yeah. okay to do. And people that have been living there, they, they do them and they don't abide by every single ordinance. The locals will tell you, we don't abide by that. Yes, mm -hmm. it's there, but you know, until, until it happens. Right. And so that's the unfortunate thing they're not enforced until they're enforced and you are then caught in the wrong place at the wrong time like she she had no idea that this man had marijuana and you know and that you know the cops were basically watching him but this you know with you it also reminds me of kind of like the decency police which really? um you know come about in other spaces and other places and for me it just also says like when are women safe to be who they are and where was they want like you were clearly in a thong or brazilian style bikini you were not naked as was continuously suggested and right. it just showed how far we've got to go in terms of accepting bodies in america we mm -hmm. are so much more conservative when it comes to nudity than say europe and it's been something that oh. i've been affected by mm -hmm. You know, since I was a kid traveling back and forth between so many cultures and seeing where certain freedoms that you think we have in America that we actually don't have at all. And I've been, you know, shamed for wearing a thong or two on the performance stage myself. <laughs> And, you know, I found like so many double standards performing burlesque style circus. There's always mm -hmm. a new standard or a seemingly out of nowhere provision when it comes to costuming. So unfortunately, like I've experienced 
experience things associated with uh, what I wear for work that have not been fun to navigate. And I wouldn't say I've ever gotten used to it, but you expect that dialogue at some point. I, you know, I, I, I tell people, I remember a very conservative corporate event I did a while back in America and they wanted the entire cast to wear white to honor how conservative they were. And it was like, it was super crazy to us, like as performers, because white is the most revealing color for a costume. Mm -hmm. Um, Like even with like the right lining, you get like really overly exposed. And we, and we were so overly exposed and the event looked like totally ridiculous, but the client (laughs) was super happy. (laughs) Yeah. The client was so happy and it was so odd, but I've had so many experiences like that. So I wanted to ask you, Sam, if you have any, if you want to add to what I just, you know, my, what I, the dialogue that I just expressed and also to like, how has this impacted you emotionally, mentally? I think it's just super traumatizing. And have you sought therapy over this experience and like the aftermath of all of that victim shaming and the slut shaming, you know, all of the, all of those things that we as a society do, especially within America, when we can be to me, just very backwards conservative in ways that, you know, again, because I'm so much in the world and because you are so much in the world, I always think now that I wouldn't have expected to happen here, but then it does. And it did. And what to do about it to change that conversation and to change that dialogue, because it's so entrenched still, even in 2020. Yeah. Um, it's absolutely very strange here. And, and to, you know, just like expand upon like what you were saying, um, you know, I've performed in Greece, I've performed in Spain, I've performed in all over Asia, um, different places in Europe. And like, I remember I did like a whole summer in Greece and like, very rarely would I ever see a, like women on the beach on the island where I performed with a top on, let alone not in a thong. Like that is just the way that like a lot of European countries, like that's where people, that's how they they dress on the beach. It's what's appropriate. They know how to like mind their own business when they're on the beach. Like just because a woman is out sunbathing topless and in a thong bikini doesn't mean that she, her body is for someone else's cons, like for, for their consumption. It's just, it's just a body that's there. And like, I've done shows in like Jakarta where we would get, you know, I'd go, we would get to like our dressing room and we would have different costumes laid out throughout the, throughout the contract when I was there. And like one night I went in, got to my table and it was body paint. And basically we were in like baby thongs and, um, we just painted over our bodies and that was our costume going out for the show that night. Um, and there, I remember one night we were supposed to have like a kind of alien style, um, event and they gave us these like galaxy costumes and my aerial partner and I uh they gave us these costumes that were like four sizes too big and they were like well I guess you're gonna go out in a push-up bra and a black thong then um because they would rather us have nothing than have something that would clash with what the the kind of theme was of the night so you know just to kind of you know as someone in show business and who has traveled a lot like you are it's especially in other countries, they're like, Hey, this is fine. This is, it's just a body. Um, but here in the U S it's obvious, like people think that everything you do somehow belongs to them. And I've noticed that here more than any other place in the world, whether I'm doing, you know, burlesque shows or I'm doing, um, or if I'm just walking down the street, like, you know, 
And you had mentioned doing burlesque circus as well. That's something that I've done many, many times. And you get people even in the audience who think that because you're willing to go on stage and strip down to pasties throughout your act, that they are entitled to, I don't know, pictures with you afterwards or touching you um, after the show. It's just really weird things that you don't get in other countries so much. Um, And people will either, they absolutely love that when they're in the environment and they're in the show, oh, they want every part of you and they, they eat it up. And then you, you wear something, you know, that's you're comfortable with during the day and they're offended by it and they need to fight against it when really in both circumstances, they, if they, if they view it, it doesn't make anything theirs. Um, and really Americans have some type of difficulty understanding that they have a difficulty realizing that they can simply just visualize something and not have to feel any certain entitlement to it. Stand for the Cause Pause. I wanted to acknowledge the recent article released by the French Canadian news outlet La Presse titled Wave of Denunciations Call for the Circus Arts to Examine Itself. The powerful article revealing the harsh realities of sexual abuse and harassment within the circus world is an expose that is most certainly moving the conversation around abuse within the circus arts forward as survivors and allies are beginning to go on the record with their experiences and victimizations as circus artists. I myself spoke with La Presse about my own story of abuse within the circ world. If you have a story that you are ready to share, even if you wish to stay anonymous, contact Jean Siag of La Presse. If you wish to share your story strictly anonymously, follow Victims Voices Circus via Instagram. Additionally, In the article, resources for circus artists seeking victim support are outlined, an important motivator for victims to come forward, knowing that there will be a roadmap to justice that they will not have to navigate alone. The article also focused on ENC, or the National Circus School located in Montreal, as the school seems to be at the epicenter of more stories to come. I will continue to share stories in and around the Me Too movement in circus as they develop. And now, back to my conversation with artivist Sam Panda. That's Americans have this this kind of entitlement thing where they they think that everything kind of belongs to them. Everything is up for their consumption. They're, they're consumers all the time, which is, I mean, it's a product of this country. You can have anything here and that's what people are told and that's what they think. So if I'm on the beach in a bikini, in a thong, a lot of people view my body as theirs and whether they like it or they don't, they're going to sometimes have a reaction. Um, And that's the same with like, I have had someone post like 
six different Instagram videos about how he didn't think my body was good enough to be in a thong anyway because I'm too skinny or too many. I can't remember even what. My butt wasn't big enough. And he posted like minutes of him dragging me for the way that I look, um, which to me is I like I I try to like laugh this off because I'm like, this is it's absurd. Um, But at the same time, it's like, wow, someone is so bothered by the way that I look that they had to make a public video and get that video viewed thousands of times um, because of the way they feel about my body, like me being too skinny or not having a big enough butt or too many tattoos. Um, I've had people with their comments say all these horrible things about the way that I look and how they feel about it. Um, which like you said, is not the way people behave in other countries. Like you, you're used to this kind of like acceptance of just people letting people exist. Um, but here it's not the same way. And I have actually, like, I, you know, we have, you know, we, we, I've been with my legal teams and we've been talking. One of the things one of my lawyers said was like, uh, you know, this is a lot and it's a lot going on. So, you know, the, the backlash is harsh. So he actually got me in to see a therapist and I'm going to see her every week because, and it's really helped me a lot. Um, even just navigate like how to process my own emotions with this and like how to like, okay, turn off the phone for a few hours because it's crazy. It's just, there's, it, it's been very helpful. And I think that's a thing that is worth saying is like, therapy should be more normalized here as well. Like we should send people to it, especially when we live in this weird environment where everyone has a say about you. Um, it's just, it's, it's a lot. So yeah, to, to answer your question, yes, I have been going to therapy and I've been trying to keep my, my emotions and everything as calm as possible, um, without getting like too upset over the things people say or too overwhelmed by just the amount of attention. But, um, it's all pretty manageable but there are definitely ups and downs. I can imagine. I can imagine it's a roller coaster. Well, and I'm just excited for when you get that ordinance changed. And oh, then it's, I mean, did you start, are you going to start a petition of some sorts or are you just going to go through the process with your lawyers and take action there? And are there, the, what are the steps that you also have to take? Is there any more that you want to add to that about the legal process within that? And how difficult is it to get an ordinance like that changed? And, um, you know, is there, is there like light at the end of that tunnel? And I would just, you know, I hope that, I hope that getting so much attention, which again, it's like the attention that you get within anything, it's like how you use it. And Mm -hmm. I think that whenever you are in a position of something like that, when you are, obviously you have your boundaries and you find a way to be protected within that, whatever it can be used for, for radical change and for transformation to harness it for that as much as possible to influence justice on any level that you can, then there you go. Then it's not for nothing. Then it's, it's, it, then your traumatic event is not in vain, even though it shouldn't have happened to you, but it did. So because it did, what are we going to turn it into? So what is the, what does that process look like? Um, what other, you know, what other, like, what other, like, what roads do you have to take towards that? Um, so there, there's quite a lot that has to be done through the legal system. Um, and I'm not exactly sure how the the best way that we're going to do it. Um, I do think, and I can say that it's going to get worse before it gets 
better. Um, things are going to probably get crazier. Um, we're going to have to do some things to make, uh, basically make some noise um, and make things a bit more intense with the whole situation. And my lawyers are kind of handling that and figuring out the best way to go about it. Um, and then I'm not sure if they're going to try to get petitions or what they're going to do. Um, but they, they have this kind of these plans, but I don't, like I said, I'm not a hundred percent sure on it, but it is going to not be the easiest, um, basically for anyone involved. Like, and a lot of it is just because of the mindset of people who live in the Bible belt in the South. Like there's just a lot of things we have to, a lot of people who are going to probably fight us on this. And that's going to be a difficult thing to deal with. Like people who are going to, you know, always going to counter it and cry, you know, think of the kids and of the Christian families and this is a family place and et cetera, et cetera. Um, not realizing that, you know, me and my sister are also a family, you know, me, my partner, my sister, my brother, who we go to the beach and wear thong bikinis, but we're a family too. So, you know, there are things that, um, we kind of have to make clear, I think when going about this change and, um, you know, one of the things about this ordinance in general is that it's very arbitrary. It's this like, it's not clear of like what your bathing suit has to look like or how big it can be. It's just basically subjective up to the discretion of other people. If they don't like you enough, you know, if I'm wearing a bikini and it looks one way on me, but another woman's wearing the same bikini and maybe she's curvier than me. And, you know, it might show more of her butt than mine can she get arrested for the same bikini? Like when I don't, these types of things all need to be thrown out. That's why the whole ordinance needs to go. Um, and it's just, it's basically just the super degrading law that exists. Um, and whether, you know, it's for, it's especially, you know, pointed towards women because we're more likely to wear thongs on the beach anyway, but you know, anyone who's comfortable with their body should be able to do whatever they want to do with their body. Um, so yeah, that's that's kind of like our whole like thought processes on the legal aspect of it. Like there's a lot that's going to have to happen. I'm not exactly sure what all the steps are, but it is going to get uh probably worse before it gets better. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you for taking that on because it's yeah. not easy. And I'm so sorry about all the harassments that you are receiving. And thank you for being so courageous and and pushing because you, you have a choice. You don't have to. And I think that's also something to remind people when, you know, when, when somebody is victimized like you were and you want to use this experience to change the laws, that you have the choice. You don't have to. Really? You, don't, you don't have to do anything. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Yeah, we could drop this um, and let it go. And yeah. I could buy new bathing suits, which I don't want to do. I like my bathing suits. Um, and, you know, I could wear a cover up when I go to the beach or or something. But I, the point, like, and the point is, like, I shouldn't have to do that. No one should have to do that if they don't want to. No one should have to cover up at the beach, cover your butt up. Because it's not, it's not a sexual organ. It's just a butt, like... No one's asking to walk around with no bottoms on. That's not what, what anyone wants to do. Like, we just want to wear clothes that we're comfortable in without having anyone else have any say about them. Um, and I think it's important 
to change this law. And I think it's important to, you know, to just progression in general with like humans need to learn how to uh, just exist peacefully with people who are different than them or who have different views than them or who wear different clothes from them or who have different skin colors than them. They need to learn that it's our existences aren't necessarily codependent just because we're in the same space. Um, And I think that's something that like we can't, we could just let it go, but I don't think we should. And I don't think you should either. <laughs> and and, and <laughs> from one woman to another, to one circus performer to another, where, you know, we are, we are, we, we put ourselves on the line all the time to express the creativities that people, you know, a part of maybe the status quo don't feel like they can. And so Mm -hmm. when you are in art, you take on a social responsibility, you take on a personal responsibility, all of those things, because we step into territories and space that people don't feel like they have the freedom to do. And that's important. That's why art is so transformative. And so we understand what it's like to, you know, traverse into territories that people are afraid to go into until they're comfortable. And then until it becomes the norm, because we know eventually certain things end up becoming the norm. Things that people say will never change do end up changing. We've had a lot of change in this world, a lot of change in this country. It's not far-fetched to imagine that this ordinance can be changed and will be changed at some point and that you will be have a large part in something to do with that and thankfully and gratefully so. But there are there are progressions that need to be made in all sorts of spaces and it takes somebody who's willing to put themselves out there on the line to do it so again i just commend you and sam i'm not sure if you are aware of it but maybe you know there's a big conversation happening in the circus world right now finally around sexual harassment and sexual abuse mm-hmm. My my own story of abuse by my former French circus duo partner was featured in a recent article by Circus Talk titled The Next Wave in Me Too Momentum. And as someone who was very much harassed yourself for just wearing a thong bikini, how do you feel about these conversations the circus world is having? And after being shamed for wearing your bathing suit and for how you exhibited your bathing suit, has it affected how you view victims' rights or the conversation around over-policing? I'm sure... As a woman, this is not your first encounter with outside influences trying to control your personal boundaries. But very few people experience both happening at the same time like you did. It's a toxic combo of over-policing and female shaming and harassment. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, well, like I, I've said before, like I'm very, I've always been very loud about these types of um, issues. And, you know, sexual harassment, um, especially like, especially against women. Um, I've, I've been a victim of it before. It's every woman has been a victim of this and I've never, ever taken it lying down. Um, and I, I've been very much in control of my own body and felt that I should be for a very long time. Um, and you know, especially that, that transforms into art forms. And, you know, as a circus performer, I should be able to do burlesque shows where I get completely naked on stage if I want to and still be respected as a woman when I say, I don't want you to touch me afterwards. Um, these types of things that performers, um, you know, we kind of get it because we're, we're in that environment a lot, but a lot of people don't understand, you know, they'll say, Oh, well, if you can show your boobs for people for money, 
why are you so upset if I call you a slut or if I touch you when you don't want to be touched? They don't understand that it's because I chose to and not because uh, you chose to. Um, It's my body, not your body. Um, And this is a topic that needs to be taken head on. And it has like the, the more we can talk about it and the more we can make this situation like very, very clear that it doesn't matter what you think of me as long as, you know, if you think that I don't look good enough or you think that I look trashy or you think that I'm slutty, it doesn't matter as long as you're not acting on it. But if I go into a bar or if I'm backstage or if I'm doing anything and you think that I'm slutty or trashy or look a certain way and you act on it and you try to touch me or hurt me or harass me, um, then we have a problem because you don't recognize that my body is not for you. And women all over the world, whether they're performers or they're not performers or whether they are comfortable in their bodies to wear, you know, super high heels and short shorts and crop tops, or if they're, they are walking around in, you know, maxi dresses and jeans, it doesn't matter. We all have experienced it. And I don't think people realize that, um, this conversation needs to happen because everyone deserves to be able to do whatever they want um, without being harassed, without having to, you know, feel violated. Um, Cause our sexuality is literally just for us. It's ours. And if we choose to share that with another person, that's our choice, but it, it's no one's right to take it. Um, and the more conversation that can be had about this everywhere, the better. Um, and it's certainly like having something now happen like this to me where, like I said, I've, I've dealt with sexual harassment a lot in the past. I feel like every woman has, but to couple it with this legal side where not only are, uh, is there slut shaming and sexual harassment just by this, you know, from what I was wearing, the things people are saying, the slut shaming on the beach, women calling the cops on me, but then actual literal police putting me in handcuffs. It's a situation that no one should ever have to be in. And, you know, I've said before, I'm very lucky that I'm, that I'm a white woman, that I was able to get out of this situation. Um, but the black women here who went through it ended up in prison, which is unacceptable. It, it literally takes sexual harassment to, a new level where you're literally like you're actually punished for, for just being a woman. And, um, all of this needs to change. All of this needs to be addressed. It needs to be something that everyone can talk about comfortably. And that's not necessarily saying that, you know, if you're uncomfortable speaking about your experiences, then you shouldn't be forced to, but you should know that you're not alone people are going to fight for you. If you need to reach out, like talk to someone, there are people there who will listen to you and there should be more people willing to fight and talk and listen and help, um, in these situations. Um, so I'm hoping that this, you know, helps push that conversation more towards the forefront, that people are more willing to, to fight for things that they're more willing to make space is more safe for women, whether it's the beach or whether it's our backstage area or whether it's, um, you know, a nightclub or anywhere, the shopping mall, it doesn't matter. Women should be able to feel safe when they go into different spaces. Yes, we should. And thank you so much for sharing your 
personal feelings and um, insights in and around that, Sam, because I feel like you are in such a pivotal moment. And, and there's so many different layers to this. And that's what I see within your experience, all the different layers that, um, that contribute to that one experience where we know it's not isolated. It's not just about the thong. It's about a very yeah. much wider narrative in and around women and women's rights all over the world. And, mm -hmm. and, and the level of freedoms that we don't exist within and, so many people, you know, are usually shocked to imagine that we need more rights in circus as women. Um, and that Absolutely. if you are performing as a burlesque performer in circus or in any type of field in that way, that you want rights, <laughs> that mm -hmm. you, you want, you want, you want, uh, you know, you want things that are going to be there to protect you, that there should not just be undue access to your body and permissions for people to cross boundaries and cross lines because you are in an environment of entertainment and respecting those environments for the professional realms that they are. And again, re-updating those conversations in and around circus, in and around entertainment, obviously as a whole, this, this affects us in all areas of our lives. And we know that it doesn't always come down to what you are wearing that invites unwanted attention. And it, it comes down to the way that you defend yourself, the... Mm -hmm the the way um the way that you defend another person there are so many different facets that unfortunately invite harassment invite assault onto a woman and you don't necessarily know which thing it's going to be at any given time and so again that's why i think too these conversations need to continue to be had we need to speak about them it's very uncomfortable for people to speak about these topics but it's because it protects so many people from from the consequences um of violating women so of course people don't want to venture into these topics and obviously not just women and you know that's inviting also too we're talking about lgbtq rights and Absolutely. trans rights it, Mm -hmm. It encompasses so many different levels of forms of sexuality and how we express ourselves in the world where people feel that they have a right to police that, that they have a right to control that, that they only want it in certain spaces because they also remind people of that. Well, you're totally fine for somebody exhibiting that in a certain space that makes you feel comfortable instead yeah. of in the space of where it invites the, 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 the unabated freedom for that person to exist just as a human being in and around the world. World. So for me, I don't like the hypocrisy of, well, you can do it, but just only in that space or, you know, you, you know, you can do it and don't, you know, don't expect, you know, to be respected in that space if you're going to do it this way or that way. You know, there's just, there's mm -hmm. all, we've heard all the comments, we've heard all of the shaming, we've heard all of the excuses um, that are placed on, on women or, you know, placed on men too, depending on how they're showing up in those spaces. Obviously, if you're gay and if you're part of the LGBTQ plus community too, they, they are harassments and policing around bodies and and expressions happen you know and violations and and assaults happen in those spaces as well so i i think that we're in a very precious um moment right now with these conversations finally being had because they have not been had um it's so long overdue especially because when we are in so many spaces as performers we're very vulnerable and this will i will pivot now into your accident um that you okay. <laughs> Yeah, in, in Bali, because I, you know, for me, a big topic um, 
that I like to speak about the most is the vulnerability of circus performers everywhere in so many different respects. It's not just in terms of sexual harassment. It's in terms of just basic human rights. It's also in the form of technical safety. Um, and there are so many different facets of, of, of safety um, that, um, that we, we don't have protections for in circus that we don't have a lot of rights to. We go and we, you know, we, we, we travel and we go into these spaces that do not all have cohesive rules and regulations in and around them. Uh, circus performers get, you know, get unfortunately, because it is a very dangerous job, but also too within environments that do not support circus properly, it becomes unnecessarily dangerous. Mm-hmm. And, and 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 destructive. So I wanted to pivot into if you could explain or you know tell the story about what happened to you in Bali, Sam, when you were performing on your aerial hoop, and then the aftermath of that. Because oof, I just yeah. I I I I did I did I did watch it. It was very hard to watch what happened to you. I know it was obviously twenty million times more difficult to have experienced that but oh my gosh I again I'm so sorry that happened to you too but I think this is um this also too is a continuous conversation in around the circus world of circus performers getting hurt um, many times out of country many times not having access to health care many times not having access to any resources or also to not having any access to uh, you know a company not even being liable for anything that happens to them uh, in a performance space and also to just the delinquencies in terms of, you know, rigging and professionals running certain shows and running certain spaces and especially aerialists who I believe are just more and more and more vulnerable in these spaces as circus continues to be more and more popular and, you know, you can do circus anywhere I oftentimes say that, you know, in the next couple of years, you should expect to see circus at every single gas station mm-hmm. in the world <laughs> because that's, you know, we've, they just, we've, we've taken it to just a whole nother level now. And, and what that means, because even though it's exciting and it's fun, you know, that the, 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 the more things get saturated and become more accessible, usually the regulations and the safeties get diluted. So if you could please, Sam, um, speak on that. Sure. Um, and that's something that's obviously it's, it's an issue all over the place because you see a lot of people who are coming into circus who are not necessarily ready. Um, and so they'll take these jobs where people just kind of give them, oh, well, we're going to do this here. Can you do it? And people are excited. Yes, I can. They don't have proper rigors. They don't have any real inspections. There's no real standard. Um, and you see it too with like coaching with with people who are getting into, you know, they want to coach aerials, but they're, there's no like standard really for for people to be coaches. There's no safety standards. It's just kind of like thrown into this kind of super fad that's happening and which is I think it's amazing. I think it's great that circus is becoming more known, that people are getting into it. They're much more excited about it. It creates a lot of opportunities for us, but at the same time, it creates a lot of issues where we as professionals really need to step up and say, "Hey, we need to to follow better rules and regulations." And um so the show I was working at in Bali, um 
you know, they, they kind of gave us this false sense of security that they were checking our rigging every day and they were taking care of the grid and they were, um, you know, had our best interests at heart. They, the contracts we signed made us feel like they were liable for anything to happen to us. And our stage was right on the ocean. So one of the things I could do as a performer is check the the cable for my rigging and make sure that, you know, it wasn't getting rusted, that it wasn't frayed, that the salt water wasn't, you know, uh, deteriorating my cable. But I could not climb 10 meters up into the grid and check that the machine was working properly. That's, it's not something I was either physically able to do, nor is it my job. Um, and what had happened is that the, the machine that they'd even put up for us to rig off of was not even suitable for human load. It was just cheaper, but this is Indonesia and there's no standard there. They can do really whatever they want and no one's going to look over their shoulders and say, oh, that's not okay. Um, and the way that they wrote their contracts, uh, you know, they, it just, they were able to get away with it. Um, they went through some shady business practices and they were able to do these things that were unsafe and they put a lot of people at risk. And unfortunately for them and for me, um, I was the one that showed that the things they were doing wasn't right. So as I went to do just a small drop on my hoop that I did every day in every show, and I've done it all over the world, um, broke the broke the rigging. And unfortunately, I was about... Oh, like three meters up when it happened, which is quite high above a concrete stage when you fall onto it. Um, you know, I've obviously done shows that are much higher than that, but but even that amount, so it's about 15 feet, I would say, was where I was. So maybe three, four, five, I don't know how many meters up that is. It was not, not, I couldn't just reach it off the ground. It was high enough that they had to bring me up onto that, um, onto that winch. And yeah, when it broke, it the whole cable just un it it spun out. Um, the the break that was on the cable had busted. It wasn't holding me anymore, and it just quickly hit the ground. Um, unfortunately, I was doing a drop, so my body was pretty relaxed when it happened, um, and I didn't realize I was falling until it was too late. So I didn't even have time to kind of tense up, which in the long run benefited me because then I was able to. Um, survive that fall instead of tensing and really doing a lot more damage. Um, though the damage was quite severe. I did have to have my C5 completely removed. It's titanium. The discs above and below were completely burst. Um, so the bone was just smashed to pieces. The, the discs were completely unsalvageable. Um, but my company did not really, they, they wrote the contracts in a way that, oh, well, they were going to do kind of whatever they wanted. And I, you know, as a performer, you only know so much. You don't realize, like, I don't necessarily know what Indonesia's healthcare system's like. I don't know what their laws are like. And they really left me to just die with a broken neck in the hospital unless I went to one specific hospital and the doctor they wanted me to go to who – my my surgeon who I eventually ended up going to told me didn't even know like what the the notes that that surgeon had taken um about what was wrong with me was not even correct like their equipment was so outdated that they missed so much injury that had I gone through with it I may have ended up paralyzed um so I I was really glad I I 
was smart enough to take matters into my own hands and say, hey, you know what? I'm going to find a way to cover myself. I need to get out of this country. I need to get away from this this toxic environment um, and figure it out and uh, heal myself properly. Um, so that's what I did. And we had to crowdfund for that. That's why it went viral because the video was also insane. Um, but it went viral because we needed help and my company wasn't going to pay for it. So we had to crowdfund and get off that island uh, and get to Taiwan where I could have surgery from a, a very, very qualified surgeon. <laughs> Um, and fortunately for me, like it all worked out in my favor. I, you know, the, the video made enough noise. The circus community is amazing enough. Um, we were able to get the money and go, not just get a medevac off the island, but they paid for the whole surgery. Um, I was, I truly believe I was treated by one of the best surgeons in the world. Um, and I went back to my first show three months after the surgery. So my surgery was in November of 2017. And I was back on an aerial hoop in February of 2018. Um, and that is not something that most people who have broken their neck can say. Um, so I got very, very lucky, uh, with that whole situation. I've been back to work relatively without any problems since. Um, and I'm again, very aware of how lucky I am because not so most people who have injury from circus, and I know a lot of people who have fallen off equipment or their rigging has broken, and they end up with broken bones, broken neck, and they don't get to come back. Um, and that's something that it, it shouldn't happen. But our our industry is incredibly dangerous, and we do take those risks. Um, so we need to find ways that our our performers can be better protected. Um, you know, you shouldn't have to die just to put on a good show. Yeah, and your story is simply like miraculous that you were back to the stage that quickly. I I literally cannot believe that you were back on the stage that fast after, after breaking your neck, after having surgery and rehabbing. I mean, what was it like rehabbing that Sam rehabbing your neck and getting like flexibilities back. And then also like trusting yourself enough again and trusting your body to take it there. Did you have, did you have a doubt or, you know, that you maybe wouldn't come back or were you already from the beginning, like, I'm going to come back, I'm going to do this because I've known circus performers that, you know, have been on, you know, people have taken it in different ways. Well, you know, some are like, you know what, this was my, this was the sign that yeah. I was going to go into something else. <laughs> you know, I, I, I think I can, you know, hang up my hoop basically, but you know, and then there's other people that knew like from the very moment, like this, this, this broke me, but I'm not going to stay broken. I'm going to rehab. I'm going to be back on the stage. I don't care what anybody says. I, I, I love what I do and I'm going to find a way to do it. So how was that? And, and, and who was there with you um, during the journey? I know that I'm, I, I'm so grateful for the circus community for banding together. And the circus community is so amazing. so wonderful. And that's why I want us to have so many rights because we're so resourceful and we do so much. I mean, there's so much that circus performers get through. And that's what I want like the larger world to understand about our business. Like we take on so much to do these shows for everyone to make it so beautiful and entertaining and death defying. And everybody does the most, I mean, there's just unimaginable things. Things. Like you, getting back up, 
going through your surgeries, you know, speaking now, you know, and, 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 and pushing forward. And so that's why, you know, I want to invite people that are outside of our world to see, you know, like we are there for each other and, you know, and, but there's only so much that we can do. We need outside influences also to take the initiative and take it upon themselves, obviously with the pressure that we apply on them, but we need others in those positions to, you know, to take the lead and to fight for us and to fight as hard for us, you know, as they, you know, as, as hard as they fight to want to come do the show, come fight for us to be able to make the show, you know, as excited as you are to, you know, to, to, to buy that ticket and to, and to purchase that and to, you know, to make yourselves available to support us, which, you know, we're, we're grateful for because without audiences, we are nothing, but also too, without the audience support and understanding just the intricacies and, um, and the, the extenuating dangers for us there you know there's there's not going to be much for them to support if we are chronically injured if we are chronically in 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 spaces where we can no longer perform anymore because that's a very you know serious thing how many people do we want to have to lose their careers and like we said with the expansion of all this amazing opportunity becomes all of these responsibilities that we cannot we cannot possibly control all of those things and all of those circumstances and and um, and all of those um, all of those regulations and all of those policies and all of those decisions that are being made um, above us or just without any of our input, we cannot control those things. So, yes, Sam, please tell us. You know how how did you make it through? Um, so I, you know, when it first of all when it first happened, I even had family that was like, "Well, you're done. I guess you're done now." Like, and I was very much like, "I've I don't like to give up on things. I don't want to quit things." So I had it in my head from the beginning that like, if I could continue, if, if someone told me there was a hope that I was going to be able to heal, that I was going to make it happen. Um, and it got to the point even where I was, when I got to Taipei, my surgeon was like, oh, well, we can take bone from your hip and reconstruct it into a new vertebrae. So that way, you know, cause they had to remove it and it would be cheaper than having to order titanium pieces from wherever they did. And I was like, absolutely not. Like as a contortionist and as an aerialist, like I've already damaged my spine, which could hurt my back flexibility. But now you want to take my hip, which would, you know, hurt my flexibility and my my ability to use my legs. Like it's just not going to happen. Whatever is going to get me back to being me, um, then that's what I want to do. So that was kind of like the first step was I've already had it in my mind that I was going to keep continuing being as much of me as I could. Um, and as I rehabbed, I realized, you know, they, my surgeon did an incredible job that was very minimal mobility lost. Um, though it did take, you know, obviously within those three, four months of, uh, healing, like I did lose a lot of flexibility in my back. It took me a while to get it back, but I was still able to perform. I'm like, my flexibility was still quite, quite good compared to, you know, even the average circus performer as a contortionist, that's kind of my, one of my best qualities. Um, so it was still something I was able to use. Um, and I, you know, I was able to push and push and push. And whenever I got, I, the whole time I was, even before I could, I had learned to walk again, I was able to do like, uh, over split stretches in, in my bed and like stand up against a wall and do standing splits and things that I, I, most people would think are insane, but I was able to do them and keep myself strong as strong as possible. And, 
keep even really just it keeps your spirits up when you're able to you know the, win these little victories. Um, and I had so much support, like you said, from the circus community, people who went out of their way to donate money to help me get better and um, to help me get my surgery. And it was it was a very strange time, um, but I was able to get through it and get back to work. But, you know, like you were saying, like we need people to really care about us more than just um, like, you know, that we have this kind of hobby is what pe- a lot of people think as artists like we are, we have a glorified hobby that we make money off of. And so we don't really get taken seriously very much, um, by, by people who even they, you know, they love our show and they think we're so talented and they love watching what we do, but you know, why should they care too much about this, uh, this hobby when, you know, their, you know, brother's wife's sister takes aerial classes down at the, you know, in her local studio and, uh, so isn't she doing the same thing? Like, it's just, it, it, and I don't, like I said, I don't want to knock anyone who's learning. I think that's amazing. I love that people are getting into it, but it is, it does make our jobs come off as not very serious to, to people who are on the outside looking in. And that's something that I think we need to change that, that narrative as well. You know, we deserve rights for our safety. We deserve rights as performers where, you know, we don't, shouldn't be harassed and we deserve rights and working conditions and we deserve to get paid properly. The amount of times that people are, you know, you get offered a contract and the pay is just absolutely abysmal. And you're like, well, why would I ever take this contract? Um, but then they can turn around and give it to a beginner and say, well, if you don't want to do this, this night, the show for, you know, $80 for the night, this person who's never been on the hoop before can do it. And they, but they don't care about the safety and the regulations. And that kind of stuff needs to stop um, because it, it puts all of us at risk. I always say, which sometimes there's a little bit of controversy around this because I always say, I wish that people would fight as strong and as hard for circus performers as they have for circus animals. Right. And, it's true. and we've, we've seen them just, I mean, the links that these advocates have gone for circus animals in and around circus. It, it has blown my mind for years. And I don't think that circus an, that animals should be in circus. And I try to actively avoid, I always have, to do shows that don't have them. Sometimes it's unavoidable because you need yep, to have a I've job, yep. <laughs> you know, and, um, and I've seen what happens backstage. I've seen them handled, but then I also tell people, I know many generation families that have taken care of circus animals mm-hmm. in, in more beautiful ways than people take care of children. And that is the absolute truth. Absolutely. And, some, and I sometimes compare it to people teaching their dogs and things tricks to me that I say, well, the circus person is doing the exact same thing. Maybe sometimes you say that my dog has the freedom to not have to do that every single day. I'm like, but you did make them learn it. Um, <laughs> either way, if they didn't want to, it's a very touchy thing, but like I always come back to people and I say, I don't think that animals should be in circus. I don't. Um, and that's because I've seen the different levels of abuses and things. And, and so it's wrong. But the thing that I'm usually still very, I get very confused about is, and why aren't you ever interested 
in the rights and the human rights that could be potentially violated against the actual performers in the show. I rarely mm-hmm. ever hear anyone say that to me. They usually open up whenever we talk about circus rights. They're always like, yeah, the animals, you know, yeah. we feel, we feel so bad for them. And, and they go on and on and on. And I, and I go and I, and I, and I always speak to people about it and I say exactly. And I tell them about my experiences and the things that I've seen and, you know, and, and, and how, and how right they are because I'm in the business and I see it up close. And, but I always at the end ask them, do you realize that you not once mentioned the life of a circus performer? Do you, do you realize what that's like for a lot of circus performers? What goes right. in and around that? I mean, if they're willing to do that to the animals and things too, what do you think that, you know, maybe the, the, the humans within those experience might have to be hiding? Um, you know, we also do in many ways can't speak for ourselves. Everybody's coming from different walks of life, from different countries. Like I said, we don't have the same rights every place that we go to. Um, it's a very difficult space to navigate, no matter how savvy you are um, at doing it. It never becomes something that's not somewhat of a struggle, um, especially as a freelancer and, you know, going from place to place and pivoting around and taking up, you know, the cost of that. But I, 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 I want people <laughs> to fight for us as much and, and not just fight for us, but be interested as much in our narratives and in our struggles and our stories as they are in the struggles of of the of the circus animals because i i rarely see people taking it that deep and taking it that far and that has that has surely you know um uh, saddened me and continues to sa- to, to to sadden me um uh when i am in these very you know powerful conversations that never bounce back to the rights because again like you said it continues to be seen as a, as 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 a, as a prolonged hobby and yeah. as, as something that you're eventually not going to be able to do. And I say, yes, but all sorts of professions, there are people that they cannot do them for their entire lives. People retire out of their jobs all the time. No one says you should have never started it because you're going to eventually have to retire from it. I mean, you don't know if something can incapacitate you to the point where you can no longer be a successful surgeon. So why are the same limitations brought upon a circus performer where you think that our time is limited, even though that's a big myth as well, because we have families we have careers well into um, our later years we don't we don't cycle out as fast as most people think we have families we have all sorts of things so you know there's 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 so much that goes into that where you know it it doesn't it doesn't fit the myths so it's a lot of undoing those myths for for people that don't know but it definitely does not assist in in our narrative um, around 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 supporting our causes and you know in in getting more attention on on our rights so absolutely it gets um a bit just it's disappointing to think that you know there's so many people who they love what we do they're always super like excited to come see us but at the same time they don't take us seriously um and like you said you know I could go to work one day and be a circus performer and the next day decide I don't want to do it anymore and change my whole life but that could be said of any career you know, uh, if I were an accountant, maybe one day I decide I want to be a dog trainer and I just stop. And that doesn't make any job more or less real than the other, than the last one. Everyone deserves rights because they, they exist and they do things and they live lives and, um, everyone should be taken seriously for who they are and what they do. 
Beautifully put, Sam. I want to thank you so much for coming onto the show and for sharing all of your stories because you have you have big stories to tell and you've been yeah. through so many major like life altering events and situations and you know you've been victimized within <laughs> your career and then within like your personal space and thank you for being an advocate thank you for pushing for change thank you for pushing for women's rights thank you for pushing for people's rights um thank you for using this experience that has happened to you for for fighting for the rights of of every single person that could possibly ever be affected or ever was affected by you know these ordinances by these laws thank you for being vulnerable and thank you for taking on all of the negativity that comes with pushing forward a narrative that people are not yet still ready for because we know that change doesn't come overnight change is never easy change is brutal it's like birth it's like giving birth to a new paradigm birthing of anything is not clean it's painful it's difficult and i just salute you and i appreciate your time i appreciate you for being so honest for being brutally honest for using your voice in every single capacity and then for also to holding truth speaking truth to power and for looking into ways that you can effectuate change on a legal level um which i know will protect people for future generations and then it'll become the norm so i support you in that i wish you so much good luck and continued success and love in your career and just you know as a woman traveling in this world continued safety and as a circus performer continued safety and success and hope and all of those good things to you so thank you so much sam Thank you. Um, it, yeah, it means a lot. I'm so honored to have been here and to have gotten to talk to you and to have space, you know, especially with another woman who's a circus performer. Like we get it. We it's this conversation was amazing. And I'm really glad I got to talk to you about this. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Sam. Thank you. This episode is dedicated to the life of Uruguayan trapeze artist Guadalupe Videla, who died in May of this year when she fell in a freak accident while practicing. Guadalupe was trapped in a Spanish town due to the coronavirus crisis and was performing with Il Circo Italiano. The circus company released this statement in her honor. An angel left us. We know that she will continue showing off her beauty and talent and the fantastic smile she always gifted us from heaven. We will always miss the way she made the impossible possible. Our thoughts and prayers are with her family. Guadalupe will always be in our hearts. Thank you for joining me on this episode of the Live Like an Acrobat podcast, where I interviewed artivist Samantha Panda. If you are as inspired by the push for change as Samantha is, please consider using whatever means you have to support Samantha's efforts to overturn Myrtle Beach's outdated thong bikini ordinance. 
The Live Like an Acrobat podcast is also available on Circus Talk, the inclusive, independent, and international online network for the circus industry. Circus Talk's mission is to create a level playing field for this industry and democratize access to information. Please consider subscribing to the Live Like an Acrobat podcast and to the circuspreneurblog.com, where you will find extended conversations and interactive content of each episode of the Live Like an Acrobat podcast. I'm your host, Shanae Stiletto, and until next time, please stay safe and stay healthy.